Welcome to the Jazz Notes Podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt, giving you a weekly breakdown on the latest with the Utah Jazz as we get ready for the upcoming 23-24 season. And uh, Chandler, we actually have some uh, some exciting news coming up specifically with the in-season tournament. We will talk about that today. Talk about some of the NBA 2K stuff. I know uh, a lot of gamers out there will touch on that briefly. Uh, and then we will talk about some of the schedules that we have seen come out, some of the Christmas Day games, etc., But uh, let's start uh, where we left off, I think, last week, which was the FIBA tournament, which continues to build up to the actual World Cup. Coming up later this month, uh, about 10 days from now, we're going to start getting into some of the real games. So far, we've just been doing exhibitions. Yeah, the Jazz players have played excellently, especially in the last week. Uh, Markkanen and Finland matched up with Lithuania again. Markkanen dropped 32 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, shot over 50% from the field. Sadly, this time, couldn't overcome a... Second half deficit, lost by four points there at the end. Uh, Fontecchio in Italy. Uh, Fontecchio led the Italy squad in points with 16. However, they did uh, blow out Puerto Rico, even bigger than USA did. Or right. Not bigger, but right there. Uh, Kessler, again, just had some cleanup minutes at the end of USA's match. Uh, both matches, actually, this weekend. Um, and then maybe the best performance from any Jazz player in FIBA, Kelly Olynyk in Canada. Canada looked great. They have basically an entire NBA roster <laughs> on their team. They yeah, they do. SGA, whole bunch of other big names. Uh, but Olynyk had 21, 6 for 11, 4 for 7 from 3. And also, that game went into overtime, and on the final possession, Kelly Olynyk blocked um, a shot to save the game for Canada. That was against Germany? Yes, yes uh, it was. That We touched on it a little bit last week. That that Canada team's insane, and it's only going to get better. And you've got guys like Wiggins, you know who, you know what they call him, Maple LeBron or whatever his nickname <laughs> was at Kansas. But yeah, as 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 they continue to get better and better, and you have all this young talent now that is coming up. Weird to say, but grew up watching Wiggins and now want to be the next Wiggins. Like the the talent coming out of Canada is going to be crazy. So Kelly Olynyk playing a big role there is actually a big deal. Uh, again, I think they're my dark horse, maybe to win the World Cup overall, but certainly to place in those top three, Australia and the U.S., obviously the other two favorites there. Spain was the number one seed. We saw USA dispatch of Spain. Now, it was a pretty close game through the first three quarters, and then when they really flexed their muscle, I thought USA was clearly the better team and was able to go on these long runs, and Spain doesn't really have a guy to go out there and provide an answer. And when they don't have, you know, the Gasols like they used to, Ricky Rubio not playing, he's out for uh, mental health purposes. Uh, they don't, I'm not sure they have that star. I'm not sure they have those guys this year. So I do think Team USA is going to be the clear favorite, but I'm curious to see what Australia can do when they have a ton of talent, as does Canada, as we touched on. Uh, as far as the local players go, Markinen's going to be the most notable name. But I think Olenek might be number two. Jordan Clarkson obviously has to be a star with Philippines. And Fontecchio is going to be a star with Italy. But because Canada has a chance to win, Kelly Olenek going to get a weird share of, uh, I think, the talk from Jazz fans on what he's done in FIBA. And Kelly's a really good player. I just think we forget how good Kelly actually is. He's taken a backseat to what the Jazz did. I don't think he's going to start next year, which is going to be a major shift for him. I think it's going to be Walker Kessler at the five, John Collins at the four, and then uh, Larry Markinen at the three. And Kelly's going to kind of play all the backup spots there, certainly the four and the five. And he's going to be really good, but he started every game last year that he was on the floor for the Jazz. I think uh, we can forget that he was able to step in and play such a crucial role. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see what he does with Canada, and I think he's going to have some international success. And then... You know, I, I don't know what his future is with the Jazz. He's on an expiring contract. If he builds up his value here and looks good, Chandler, he becomes a really good trade piece. Because if the Jazz don't find themselves competing for a title this season, which I don't think they will, 
you got an expiring contract and a guy like Kelly Olynyk who can help a championship team. Kelly is that good of a player and has that much experience that he can play the backup five and provide some versatility on a team that, that can go really far in the playoffs. And I look at the Suns, I look at the Lakers, I look at the Heat, I look at Philly, which is an absolute nightmare right now with what's going on with James Harden, but I look at all these teams around the league that could use a big guy who can space the floor and take a couple of charges in an important game and provide toughness, and I think Kelly Olynyk's that type of guy. 100%. And like you said, building your value, he's in a he's in a really good situation because Canada is a great team. Like you said, they could be a dark horse to go far in FIBA. But uh, when you look at the Canada roster, they're really heavy on guards and forwards, yep. right? They got Wiggins, they got SGA, you know, and I feel like he can really solidify the big man minutes up north in Canada. Um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, Walker and Team USA. Again, he didn't get onto the floor until later into the game. Um, and didn't play at all against Spain. Yep. So if, if it's not a blowout, it doesn't look like Walker's going to play. I was about to say, and last time on the first episode, uh, you asked if he would possibly play more because just matchup-wise, right? Like, there's bigger guys on the floor in the second two games than there was in the first game against Puerto Rico, but that wasn't the case. Yep. Uh I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping he plays more. I like the content of Walker Kessler playing more, and I know Jazz fans want to see him. I do think it's still a good experience for him getting out there and having an opportunity to play with these guys in practice. But yeah, when you're playing, you know, Juancho Hernan Gomez as your five, which Spain ended up doing and didn't end up going to some of their bigger sides that they have off the bench, yeah, it's going to be hard for Walker to get on the floor. And I would suspect now if Steve Kerr has felt like they're going to escape group play without a loss, and they, they will. They go to Abu Dhabi now and have, what, one more game, I think, coming up, or two more this week, and they have one on Friday, one on Sunday. Without facing a true big, and you're not going to see, you know, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid's not playing, you're not going to see those guys. Maybe we don't see Walker unless these games are totally out of hand. And that would be unfortunate, because I'd like to see him actually play in the games, but you hope that the practice he's getting behind the scenes, playing with guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., Bobby Portis, etc., he's learning a couple of things. I, I hoped it would be more. I hope it is still more. But uh, if you're not seeing him at this point, I'm not sure when we will. Definitely. Uh, we are 10 days away from the start of the actual FIBA tournament. Something to look forward to. I'm excited to see how Team USA does, as well as other interesting teams like Canada, like Germany. Um, it's always fun to see NBA players sort of show what they got on a different stage. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's funny when Simone Fontecchio, who is going to be battling for any minutes at all on the team next year, is the star player in Italy. You know, it's just a totally different role, and can he adjust to that? But yeah, five total jazz players playing in FIBA, so uh, plenty to look forward to coming up before the end of the month. Definitely. Uh, let's transition here. In less than an hour, the NBA will be releasing the uh, schedules um, and the dates for the in-season tournament, which is a new addition on deck this year. Uh, you talked about this uh, recently. Um, the Jazz sort of have a tough little group they had to play against. Uh Two of the top four teams in the West record-wise, and then also the Lakers in that group who ended up making it to the Western Conference Finals. Um, How are you feeling about the in-season tournament? If you're not familiar with the in-season tournament, I know it sounds radical, and I think a lot of NBA fans have been a little turned off. Specifically, if you're not like all that invested in it or you haven't read into what it's going to look like, I actually don't think it's going to be as invasive as a lot of fans think. I think it's just going to increase the value of some of the normal regular season games, which in... November and early December probably don't matter all that much. And I would actually bet they wrap up these what they're calling cup games, which is group play, even before December. Because the final four happens in Vegas from the 7th to the 9th. And you're going to have to make adjustments and make sure buildings are available. Because while the final four is going on, the NBA is going to be scheduling other regular season games for teams. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they build this out. 
and we should get the rest of the Jazz schedule in the coming days, either tomorrow or Thursday, I suspect. But looking at these games, the Jazz are going to have to play the Suns, the Lakers, the Trailblazers, and the Grizzlies in group play. You know, the Suns are going to be a dominant regular season team again. I'm not sure how good they're going to be in the postseason. Uh, the Lakers, I think, are going to be okay in the regular season, and I think they're going to be a real threat again in the playoffs. The Trailblazers, we have no idea what they're going to look like. That's still going to be the major question, and the Grizzlies will be without John Morant. But yeah, you will play two of these teams on the road, two of these teams at home. The team of that group with the best record advances to this next group of play, which will feature eight teams. So there's six different groups in cup play spread out across the 30 NBA teams. The six winners of each group advance, and then they'll add two wild cards. They will play, and I think it's at the home arenas, and then the teams that win those advance to this Final Four that will be played in Las Vegas. And in fact, it only adds one game to the regular season schedule in the NBA. The teams that make the finals will play an 83rd regular season game. The winning team gets $500,000 a player. I think the losing team it's like a quarter million, which is a lot. That's a big deal. So uh, the players will be motivated. And it's just a little more intrigue early in the season while football is still dominating. And I think TNT is going to make a big deal out of it. ESPN is obviously going to make a very big deal out of it. That's why they're announcing it on ESPN today. And I think you're going to see nationally televised jazz games against the Suns and the Lakers, if not the Grizzlies and the Trailblazers, which jazz fans want to see. I mean, jazz fans felt... Uh, cheated a little bit last year that they weren't on national TV until the last game of the season against the Lakers, which wasn't announced until the Friday, and then the Jazz played on Sunday. Uh, I think Jazz fans will be happy to see these games. And look, the Jazz beat the Suns here last season. I remember Larry Markin having one of his you know premier early breakout games, hitting a crazy turnaround shot against Devin Booker late in the game. The Jazz can win these games, but I do think there will be some extra juice, and you know we'll, we'll see how well these teams play on the road when they feel like it's a cup game. And a chance to win an extra half million dollars is going to motivate a lot of people, even the Kevin Durant's and the Devin Booker's and you know the Lowry Markkinen's of the world. That's still a lot of money. Absolutely, and I think what a lot of NBA fans don't really realize is, like you said, it's only adding one game to the season. You know, the NBA did a great job of sort of implementing it into the schedule, um, and. Even though you have some tough games, like you said, I think that the Jazz can pull out a win anywhere. You know, it's I'm excited to see NBA competition in a single game elimination format. Uh, I'm personally really excited for the in season tournament. And basketball is designed for tournament play. You know, it's why we like March Madness. It's why we like the conference tournaments. It's why we do like the NBA playoffs. It is a sport that is is designed well for this type of play. And I, I think fans will respond. I think the players will respond. It's why we like FIBA. Yeah, no, it really is a, a good design and an easy sport to play in these scenarios where it doesn't really make sense that well for football and it's harder to do physically. Basketball is really going to work well here. So I'm excited to see when these dates actually start and then I will be curious to see the response from fans. I think it's going to start negative. I think it's going to end up really positive. And then I think by the time they've got these, this Final Four in Vegas and you see how many fans actually go to it and how the players respond, that's what's really going to sell it and push it over the edge. And I think Adam Silver is going to look like a smart commissioner for, for installing this because it is a pretty radical idea, even if in all practicality it doesn't add that much to the game. Honestly, it sort of reminds me of when the NBA added the play-in tournament a few years ago. Right. Uh, do you think that maybe there will be a similar response, like you saw LeBron James say that he doesn't like the in-season tournament? Uh, do you think there'll be maybe a split between how the players and the fans uh, think about the in-season tournament? Yeah, and no one likes the tournament until they win it. You know, LeBron didn't like the play-in tournament, and then they needed it last year, and they go to the conference finals. So he loves the play-in tournament now. <laughs> you know, at least he's going to like those play-in games. So when it benefits you... It's going to be great. And yeah, it's an extra trip and it's Las Vegas. You know what? They're going to party in Las Vegas. They're going to have fun in Las Vegas playing with the other four teams that are down there. 
And then, yeah, that $500,000, and, you know, I'm sure some guys will use it as an opportunity to donate that money. But if you are Simone Fontecchio or, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh, who's a 28th pick in the draft, who's guaranteed $1.3 million or something like that this year, you're a two-way player. Make five hundred thousand dollars for that's winning big. one game. That's life changing money. That's your mom's house. That's you know what I mean. That's that's all your siblings' education. So uh, it's, it, it will be fun, and I think it will be motivating. And and it is a good chance to get these younger players some money that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. Definitely something to look forward to. I'm excited to see the schedule come out in about thirty minutes now. Um, let's talk about another little interesting thing. Uh, NBA 2K is going to be coming out in you about a, 2K a month. You a 2K guy? Uh, honestly, I am. I, I played yeah. it a good amount growing up. I always loved basketball, and as a younger generation, played a lot of video games, a lot of 2K as well. Sure. Um, but a lot of jazz players had their ratings released. And now, let's take a pause for a second. Some people use their rating as motivation, right? They right. want to improve on it. Other people couldn't care less. Right. <laughs> like, it does not matter to them at all. They just want to go out there and hoop. But I still think it's a provides for some fun banter amongst fans. Let's start out with Larry Markkinen. He is an 86 overall. Uh, he started last year as a 78. Uh, for comparison, Jamal Murray is an 88. De'Aaron Fox is an 88. Carl Anthony Towns, same rating, 86. Huh. Um, That's low for Cat. I agree. I actually, it's low for Lowry, too. Yes. No, I, I actually agree as well. I think that Jamal Murray and De'Aaron Fox should be in the 90 overall club. And I think that Larry Markkinen should move up to about an 88, 87 as well. Okay. Um, Who's the highest ranked player? Do you know? Nikola Jokic, 98 overall. Yeah, he's basically a perfect NBA yeah. player. And then everyone else under there is Giannis, LeBron, Curry, etc. at 96. Um, Kessler, uh, 83 overall. For comparison, he started last year as a 71 uh, before his first game in the NBA. So huge jump for Kessler. I mean, he proved it. What was he, second in the Rookie of the Year race? Yep. Had a great year. I think third. Third? Oh, behind, behind Jalen Williams? Jalen Williams, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, 82 overall, one overall below Kessler. I think some people might disagree with that. I don't, I don't, I don't mind it. I had this conversation last year, and I was wrong because at the beginning of the season, I remember thinking, I think Mike Conley's the Jazz best player. And I think early in the year, he might have been the most irreplaceable player because he ran the show. And look, the Jazz fell apart after they traded Mike Conley. Now, some of that was because they were resting everybody, and Lowry wasn't playing, and Jordan wasn't playing. Uh, but I did think he was the most indispensable player early in the year. And Mike Conley's still a great player. But Lowry proved to be a much better player and was an all-star starter and absolutely deserved it. Probably should have been all-NBA. Absolutely. I don't know who the Jazz second best player is. If we want to go off these ratings, they have Kessler at number two. I guess we haven't seen where they have Colin Sexton. They could have some weird rating for him, but I don't think they would have him higher than, than Kessler at 83. I don't know who the Jazz second best player is this year. And I think that's actually going to be really important because if it's John Collins, which is not out of the realm of possibilities, and if you were to get John Collins from two years ago or three years ago, you can be really good because Markkinen's a star. Yes. And if you have another guy who's close to that or better than Jordan Clarkson and better than Walker Kessler, that's a pretty legit four player, core of four players. And I do think Colin Sexton's going to be better assuming that he's on the roster next season. I'll be curious to see what Taylor Hendricks and Keontae George can do when we get to their ratings here in a second, but... I, again, I I think you start to see a pathway to the Jazz actually being pretty talented at the top, and we've already underrated how deep they are. They are they have ten legitimate NBA players, as we were talking about. You know, Kelly Olynyk playing a starring role in FIBA, and as a longtime NBA vet, he's good. Colin Sexton's really a good player. Uh, so if you get out there and start to see more success with some of these guys who we aren't talking about, like John Collins, and he becomes your second best player, it's not because everyone else got worse. It's because he's rebounded to being who he was. And then the Jazz are threatening for that fifth seed. 
certainly a play-in spot, 6th, 7th, 8th, because the roster was already really good last season, and you've had a point guard step up and play well and kind of take over those minutes and lead the team. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think for the second best player, could be Collins, could be Kessler. Maybe we even see a jump, and who knows? Maybe Keontae George could have a phenomenal rookie season, and he's in that debate. Not saying he could be, but who knows? I think Donovan Mitchell did it. Where, where are the rookies ranked? Okay, the rookies is where it gets really interesting. Because uh, if you put yourself in the shoes of 2K as a game, right? If you give a rookie a higher rating than some person who's been in the league for a while— you don't know for sure what they're going to look like. Right. With that being said, Victor Wembanyama starts as an 84 overall. That is a record in the game of 2K. Higher uh, than Kessler. Yes, higher than Kessler right now. Uh, for comparison, LeBron was a 78 overall as a rookie. Granted, that was a million years ago, so different time. But more recently, Anthony Davis was a 79, super high prospect. Yep. And Zion was an 81. Okay. Um, I, I think that is a little bit ridiculous because the second highest rated rookie is Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, second and third pick, tied at 78. Six overall spots behind Victor. Rookies just don't help you win games. Yes. Uh, even the best rookies. You know, Donovan did a little bit, but Rudy Gobert was really the star of that team. As good as Donovan was as a scorer, and I'm not trying to take that away, you had an anchor and an identity down low and some guys around him like Jay Crowder, who they traded for, who actually helped you win games. Ricky Rubio was there. Like, that was a good team. Donovan Mitchell was your, I'm going to get a lot of shots and score a lot of points as a result, which a couple of guys probably could have filled. And then Donovan became the best player or second best player on that team. Rookies, though, even at their best, don't all, like Paolo Bancaro probably didn't help you win a lot of games last year and he won Rookie of the Year. Walker probably helped you win a couple of specific games. But you know what? There's a lot of centers you probably could have put there and gotten similar production. Now Walker's got to build on that and become a better player. So I actually think if you're going to put Victor Wembanyama, as unique as he is that high, and say he's going to be one of the, what I would imagine, that's one of the 50 higher rankings in 2K, Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to be one of the 50 best players next season. Oh, definitely. Uh, 2K ratings are weird. Going off of the Jazz rookies now, like I said, it's kind of hard to rate the rookies, but I personally have a problem with the three ratings for the Jazz rookies. Too low? Too low, absolutely. We'll start with Bryce Sensabaugh. He's a 71 overall. If you're near the end of the first round, right, you don't know how you're going to fit in. You don't even know if you're going to see the floor. I, I'm okay with that, right? You don't know what he's going to sure. be. But Taylor Hendricks, 73 overall. Two overalls higher than Bryce Sensabaugh. And Keontae, who lit up the summer league at a 72. So 73, 72, 71 for the Jazz rookies. I personally think Hendricks and Keontae should be in the 74 to 76 range. I feel like that would be respectable. But like I said, you never know what you're going to get. I don't know what to make of Taylor Hendricks. Certainly not in regards to a uh, video game ranking. I know Keontae George really lit the league on fire. 21 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists, 46% from the floor, 38% from 3 in Vegas. Like, he was he was the best player in Vegas. Had he not gotten hurt, he would have won Vegas MVP and the Jazz probably win that title. Keontae George would have won the MVP in Las Vegas had he stayed healthy and not rolled his ankle. And then, of course, that's an issue. If that lingers into the season, it will it will hurt how quickly he can get onto the floor if he doesn't play preseason. But yeah, Cam Whitmore plays, wins Summer League MVP in Houston, and probably got a higher rating as a result, I would imagine. He is uh, higher than even Keontae George there. But yeah, I, I don't know if Bryce Sensabaugh sees the floor. Taylor Hendricks might not see the floor after missing Summer League. A lot of that's going to have to do with how well they play in the, in the preseason. And then what the Jazz goals are this year. Do they just want to give those rookies a bunch of minutes, or are they trying to win 45, 46 games uh, and have a chance at you know getting the fifth, sixth, or seventh seed and making a run in the playoffs. I, I could see them going either way, and it may be totally dictated on what happens over the first month or two of the season. 
a couple more ratings that Jazz fans may or may not care about, and then we can move on. Donovan Mitchell slides in at 92 after his first wow. season with Cleveland. That's a great rating. Uh, Booker is a 94 for comparison, so just okay. a little bit lower than that. And Damian Lillard slides in at a 94 as well. Okay. Um, let's that, talk about that'll the, probably be the most video games we ever talk about on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> let's talk about the Christmas and opening day schedules for the NBA. Uh, Shams from the Athletic threw those out there for us the other day. Um, Jazz not on either, but NBA fans can appreciate a good schedule on those days. Uh, we'll start with Christmas: Bucks, Knicks, 76ers, Heat, Celtics, Lakers, Mavericks, Suns, Warriors, Nuggets. Mavericks Suns is the best because it has the rivalry between Luka and Devin Booker. Those two players really do not like each other. It's kind of 80s basketball, 90s basketball over again where you have two stars who legitimately are unfriendly with one another and they show it on the court. So I'm excited about that. I do like those games. 76ers might be a disaster. If uh, Miami gets Dame, I mean Miami's going to be fun to watch. They're not a great regular season team. They weren't last year certainly. Uh, But if they get Dame, they'll certainly be more fun to watch there. Bucks, Knicks, you know. I will always take a Christmas Day game at Madison Square Garden. Yes, definitely. Can't beat that. Um, Celtic-Lakers as well. That rivalry isn't as heated as it has been in decades past, but maybe we'll see LeBron uh, get upset at the end of a game after Jason Tatum fouls him again. I don't know what to make of the Celtics. Uh, The Chris Dapps trade, they got rid of Marcus Smart, who was their identity. I think they could fall apart this year. Uh, And it puts a lot more... Uh, on the coach now to step in and have to prove that he really is ready to take over that second year. I know he had to replace Ime Udoka, and that was difficult, but you had a guy like Marcus Smart who was a culture setter. Now he's gone, uh, and the onus is going to be on that front office to make sure that they still have that same championship identity uh, that I think Marcus Smart was able to make up for quite a bit. And on NBA opening day, we have a few Western Conference powers going at it. We have the Lakers and the Nuggets and the Suns and the Warriors. Uh, I think Lakers and Nuggets should be a good game to kick off the NBA season. Yeah, the Nuggets really handled them in the uh, conference finals. They won that series 4-1. to one. I- I'll be curious what-, what the championship hangover is for the Nuggets, if they have it at all. I I don't know what to make of Jokic, other than he's just the most dominant player in the NBA, but does he care to continue to play hard every single night? I think that's a very legitimate question for him. Now, when you know the pedal's to the metal and it's the postseason, he is the best, and he plays really hard, and he dominated all throughout the postseason— it was a Dirk Nowitzki-like run, and it wasn't ever really in question. It didn't seem like after that opening series, they were just so much better than everybody else, and they really didn't let anyone get in the way. They dominated Phoenix in the second round. They dominated Miami in the finals outside of, what, Game 3 or Game 4 in Denver. So do they come back with that same fire? I think it's going to be hard. I don't like their depth as much as the— certainly they had a weird offseason for a team that wins a title. Generally, those teams retool and add better players. They got worse. Which is it's because it's hard to win in Denver the same way it's hard to win in Salt Lake City. It's not where everybody wants to live. Uh, and no one's going to take a discount to go live in Denver, unfortunately, for the Nuggets. But uh, they still have the best player in the league. And, and if Jamal Murray can stay healthy, they're, they're certainly going to have a chance and should probably be the favorites to repeat uh, as champions. And then we'll see if the Lakers additions, because I thought they actually had a very good summer, how much better that makes them. Or if they just caught a little bit of fire late in the season with that playoff run and after the trade deadline and had some motivation getting rid of Russell Westbrook if that carried them through and if they can repeat that. I'm excited for this Lakers-Nuggets game. Like you said, even though it was a sweep in the Western Conference Finals, uh, it was maybe one of the most competitive four-game series of all time. Was it only four? It was four. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was 4-1, so you're probably right. Yeah, that's that's not great. <laughs> um, let's move on to, just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Dwayne Wade and Holly Rowe. Two Utah Jazz connections making it into the hoop hall a few days ago. 
Shout out to both of them. And um, well deserved. Yeah, I mean, Dwayne Wade's one of the maybe the second best shooting guard of all time behind Michael Jordan, and Holly Rose, uh, you know, a legit great face for basketball, and it's fun to have her locally and her ties to BYU, and then on the local broadcast. Absolutely. Anything else before the mailbag? Uh, no, let's get the mailbag. Happy to address it. Awesome. So first up, a uh, question from Jared Crookston. Every year we hear about players needing to improve their defense, following, uh, followed with, he's got the tools, this should be doable. But it's pretty obvious, improving defense is harder than folks say it is. Who was a recent jazz player who made a big single-year stride on defense? I don't know if there are recent-year jazz players. That's the problem. <laughs> I mean, the whole roster has been turned over outside of Jordan Clarkson in recent years. So much, it has to do, so much of it has to do with role and you know what role are you being asked to play. And I actually think... Quinn Snyder's default of just saying, we'll funnel everything to Rudy Gobert, probably let too many guys off the hook defensively, so they didn't really get an opportunity to get better. And in fact, it probably made some guys worse than they were. Now, Lowry Markinen is a much better defensive player than his reputation would imply. Now, he was not good in Chicago. I think he was a little bit better in Cleveland and then was significantly better this year. He was the he was one of the top uh, rim protectors in the NBA as far as uh, opponent field goal percentage at the rim when he was the primary defender. I still think a lot of that has to do with playing next to the guy who was actually better than he was, and that's Walker Kessler. When you have a dominant rim protector, your numbers are going to look good. And that was the result. But he's more athletic than he's ever been. He's thinner than he's ever been. I think he grew into his body finally, which I think is a big jump for guys. I think a lot of it has to do with physicality and maturing into your body finally. And maybe even Donovan Mitchell hasn't gotten to that point in Cleveland where once he does, maybe he becomes a better defender. Devin Booker certainly became a better defender. He got in better shape and started focusing more on that end of the floor. So unfortunately, I think a lot of it has to do with role and body that kind of will match your effort more so than just necessarily like, hey, I learned a trick. Like, they all know the tools. They all know what they have to do to defend guys. It's more about buying in and then having the physical tools and, and the scheme to match it. And I, I'll, I'll be curious how the Jazz evolved defensively because they were bad defensively last year. They were so good offensively, still a top-10 team, largely because Lowry was so good on that side of the floor. Can they figure out a way to balance that with some defense? We'll see if John Collins helps there. He's actually a very good rim protector, too. Can Taylor Hendricks, also another good rim protector, can he add up? And then do they have the perimeter guys? I think that's going to be the big question. Definitely, and you don't have to be a great rim protector to be a great defender. You don't have to be Rudy Gobert, Walker Kessler. You could be like Kelly Olynyk, have yep. a good defensive IQ, take some charges, you know, just have the effort. You know, it's not all about the tools, it's what you do with them. Being in the right place at the right time is 90% of the battle, I think. Exactly. You know, being long certainly helps. All right, question from Utah Jazz fan. Uh, what do you think the Jazz will do at the point guard and shooting guard spots? Jordan Clarkson has one of those locked up. I'm not sure which one. Probably the two guard, which is where he was last year. That would be my guess. I think I've been the not the only person, but I, I, I know it's kind of counter to the popular narrative. I really think Chris Dunn's going to be the Jazz starting point guard. I think that's going to be my hottest take going into the season. And if they want to start Keontae George or they want to start Colin Sexton, I I would totally understand that. Keontae George is really... That's a shot over the bow of of a guy like Colin Sexton saying, hey, we're we're kind of undercutting you and starting this this rookie because we think he's so promising and can be better than you are. That's that's gutsy uh, when you have another guy who's making 18 and $19 million a season. But I think it's going to be Chris Dunn because I think he checks a lot of boxes. He's a former lottery pick, so you can't go to Colin Sexton or anyone else and say, hey, he doesn't have the talent. He does have the talent. 
Second of all, he's put in the work because he's been across the NBA. He played in Minnesota. He played in Chicago. He played in Portland. He played in Atlanta. He's gone through the injuries. He's gotten himself back on the floor. He's got the veteran aspect that none of the other players in the Jazz backcourt has. So he's got the talent from the lottery potential. He's got the experience from when he got drafted, which was, what, seven years ago now. And then, better yet, he's the best defensive player the Jazz have on the perimeter. And if you want to start saying, hey, our our identity is going to be that we're going to play hard on both sides of the floor— He's the Jazz' best isolation perimeter defensive player. Will Hardy talked about it the day after he signed. He got into practice, and Will Hardy said, yeah, he can lock up. Like He really is one of the few guys in the NBA who can lock up another player. And he showed that over the last, whatever, 22 games of the season that he was with the team last year. I know the minutes are going to be thin. I know if he plays, that means somebody else probably isn't, and that might be Keontae George, which which would make some Jazz fans upset, and I understand that, but... I do think he's the best running the offense. He's the most talented player overall on both ends of the floor. And he's got the veteran leadership that this team needs that they really liked from Mike Conley last season. He actually brings a lot of that. And I think he's a good locker room guy. So I I think it's going to be Chris Dunn. I can easily make the case for him. I also understand why the odds would be stacked against him when you have Colin Sexton and you have Keontae George or you have Jordan Clarkson and you have all these guys who could step in and fill that role. Something I really like about the Jazz's uh, guard rotation is... Keontae, Sexton, and Dunn. Sexton and Dunn are two pesky energy defenders that yep. will pick you up 94 feet 94 if they have feet. to. And I think that that's something that could maybe translate to Keontae's game eventually, and that would be big for him. Because he's a terrible defensive player. He was bad in Vegas. He was, and, and it got a little bit better. I actually think sometimes he got killed in the second half of games when he was bad at the beginning because I'm sure he's drowning. I'm sure he's drowning with all these players he's defending against and can be a better defensive player. He's, he's bulky. He's strong. He looked thin in, in summer league, but he played a lot heavier at Baylor. I think finding that right spot for him is going to be important. I think he can be an okay defensive player, but he's not going to be his rookie season. He's going to be really bad. Definitely, but what else can you expect from? Yeah, a rookie right. Point rookies guard? are bad. Rookies aren't good players. Going back to our two K ratings, rookies are not good players. They 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 are talented, but they don't know how to help you win. And Keontae, as good as he is, he's going to hit shots. He's going to be exciting to watch. Might be the Jazz' most exciting rookie. They probably aren't going to help you win games. And that's fine. Last mailbag question here from Glenn Anderson. Uh, we talked about the Tyler Hero, Dame, and Jazz potentially being the third team uh, aspect in our last episode. But Glenn asks, would you trade an unprotected first to Miami for Tyler Hero in order to help them facilitate a trade for Dame? No, because if there were other teams willing to offer it, the deal would have been done already. I think if Portland were able to get one more unprotected first-round pick in addition to Nikola Jovic and and some of the other players, Jaime Hawkins, that are apparently rumored to be in this trade, I think it would be done. So you don't need to pay the highest price. The Jazz are in no rush to pay the highest price for a guy like uh, Tyler Hero. It's the same reason they didn't trade for John Collins last year at the trade deadline. You know, they waited and waited and waited and realized, hey, we can get him at our cost and not your cost, which I think is really smart because if you wanted to go out and, and you know, trade Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley – at the trade deadline, or even before last season began, I guess you couldn't have because you had just acquired them, but at the trade deadline, you could have had John Collins on this roster to end the season. And you said, you know what, let's use those two guys to go out and get another first-round pick, and yeah, you'll eat Russell Westbrook's salary for three months, but that's fine. They got an unprotected future first-round pick from the Lakers just by not paying the Hawks' price for John Collins, and then the Hawks got into the offseason and said, we just basically got to cut this dude. So we will take Rudy Gay in a second-round pick... 
for John Collins. And the Jazz said, great, we paid the price. So no, unprotected, absolutely not. I do think someone eventually is going to give up a first-round pick for Tyler Hero, and I think the Jazz can probably give up the best first-round pick for Tyler Hero unless OKC were to step up and do it because they have a, a quite a, a deep draft cash as well. But I think the Jazz could get him. And you could probably do it for a pick not unlike what you just drafted Bryce Sensabaugh with, like something in the late 20s, and you just say, hey, that's what's on the table. You guys need to make this deal done. Portland doesn't want to go into the season with Dame. They've got to restart, and Miami does want to get this trade done. And the Jazz will say, yeah, we'll be the benefactors of, uh, or the beneficiaries of, of, of the fallout of this trade where you need to redirect somebody, and we'll take our talent level to a new level by only giving up something small. I think that's how Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck have operated, and I think they'll continue to be opportunistic because they don't need Tyler Hero, but at the right price, you know, uh, a good lesson I learned is your car is always for sale. Meaning, for the right price, you'll sell anything. And if you'll, if if for the right price, you'll buy Tyler Hero. If it's a late first round pick, yeah, that's better than what you're uh, going to get with that draft pick, anyways. If you were to see it through, so take him on. And if you have to trade him in a year or two, that's fine. But no, I'm not giving up an unprotected pick. And honestly, Danny Ainge doesn't seem like the type of guy to help another team get a trade done and give up a first-round pick. Certainly not helping Pat Riley. Exactly. Yeah, he's not going to help Pat Riley. (laughs) He's going to want that pick in order to help them get that trade done. Yep. All right, thank you guys for tuning in to Jazz Notes. Tune back in every Tuesday. Uh, Got some good conversations in today. Yeah, more FIBA coming up on the next episode. We'll have the official dates for this uh, in-season tournament. and. Uh, we can actually start addressing some of the top 50 jazz players, which we're announcing on the 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. We actually started today with number 50. That was Rodney Hood. But uh, by next Tuesday, we'll be uh, through number 45 on the list. So we can uh, break down some of those five on the tap- top 50 jazz players of all time as we lead up to the 50th anniversary season for the jazz. Tune in at KSL Sports uh, and find this podcast. It's kslsports.com every Tuesday.